1: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
0: What's up, guys, and welcome in to the Varsity Club podcast. Derek Peterson here, as always. Greg Smith is out today, but talking in his place. We've got Hale Varsity's managing editor and soccer aficionado, Brandon Vogel. Brandon, welcome back to the podcast, man.
1: Oh, thanks! Excited to uh, excited to be back. I certainly hope I can be at least a replacement level talker. Um, sometimes it's up in the air about that, though.
0: I don't think you will. I don't think that will be too difficult. We're going to slam Greg a little bit for not being here. <laughs> is it <laughs> is it snowing where you are right now? Because it's April sixth, and it's snowing here in Lincoln.
1: <laughs> no, uh, thankfully I'm okay. It's uh it's it's a little grey and overcast, but uh there's no snow on the ground. So I, I'm doing I'm doing a lot better than a lot of people on that front.
0: I think I'm just so used to Oklahoma weather. Um I guess I went and, and got a bunch of shorts and short sleeved shirts, like short sleeved stuff out of a few weeks ago and now they're just collecting dust in my closet and uh when I moved here I was like, Man, I'm really excited to get snow more often, but now I'm like I'm done having to dig my car out and clean my car off every morning I want to leave.
1: Yeah, once baseball starts, I think it's it's officially time that, um, you know, not because you or I are, are huge baseball fans nor hate baseball, but, like, it's just sort of a signifier that, okay, it's time for snow to be done, and uh, let's have actual spring football with weather that matches.
0: Definitely, so that they can actually open up the, the garage doors and go outside on the practice field, which uh, they actually got to do, uh, what was that, Thursday. Yeah, they had the, the doors opened up a couple for, for a couple minutes towards the end of the practice. Um, today we got a fun pod planned, I think. Um, we got some, we got some really fantastic questions in our mailbag this week, so we're going to talk about one of those here in a few minutes. A bit later we're going to talk about this staff's confidence after uh, defensive coordinator Eric Chenander gave us what is currently my favorite thing of the year. Uh, and then we're going to hit on volleyball and the newest commitment that the Huskers picked up this week. Um, first, though, before we get into that, Brandon, I have a question for you. Have you been keeping an eye on the Masters?
1: A little bit. I watched. Um, I watched the afternoon coverage from from yesterday, and my my main takeaway was I'm, I'm not a big enough golf fan to like that. I need to do this. Uh, I'll tune in Sunday and. Uh, I'm just, I'm not tied to any of the guys. Like your standard sort of golf drop in fan. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what Tiger does. That's, of course, a fascinating story uh, on a number of fronts. Um, but it, it's on. Like I, I feel sued when the Masters is back, even though I'm not hugely into it.
0: I, I was always more of a Phil Mickelson fan uh, than I was a Tiger Woods fan. Like he was always the guy, like I would want Phil to win over Tiger when I was growing up. Um, so I'm happy that Phil is. I think he he's within two shots of the lead as of recording this podcast, um, but did you hear about what Sergio Garcia did yesterday, the defending masters champion
1: <laughs> I, I I did not actually um, that was that was part of the coverage that I missed. Are, are we talking <laughs> about his his horrible hole here? Yes,
0: or? yes oh, okay. um, so probably the most epic meltdown I've ever seen in sports, like the defending green jacket winner goes into the par five fifteenth he's plus two, I believe and then he cards a 13. He hit five (laughs) shots into the water. Um, Hit his tee shot, and then he tried to go for green on his second shot, and it failed horribly. Um, And it got me thinking about some of the worst collapses uh, that we've seen in sports in recent memory. I know you, you weren't prepared to answer this question, but off the top of your head, are there any kind of just colossal, Disappointments that come to mind when you think about sports.
1: <laughs> this is probably an argument against how colossal it was. But what was the NCAA tournament game uh, two years ago? Um, was it Texas A? Was Texas A&M involved? Um, where you you had basically a seven point lead erased in under fifteen seconds? Or yes, F- ri- yes, that
0: quick? was A&M. Yeah, I think that was Northern Iowa that they were playing.
1: Yeah, I, that was my that was my recollection. It was Northern Iowa and A and M. Um, that's that's got to be up there. Um, yeah, it's it's strange that we have I think a real candidate for this and the biggest sporting event in America, which of course is is the Falcons' uh, lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. That was like, the Yeah, when you think back, like, okay, that's it seems like something that should happen in just this far-off place that you kind of hear about. But for the game that literally everyone is watching, to to see that, that's going to be tough to top, really.
0: Yeah, I think about that. Um, Just being an NBA nut, I think about James Harden turning it over 12 times uh, in the elimination game in the playoffs a couple years ago. Um, This one, for me, though, was probably the worst, just because of the fact that, like, it's a Thursday. It's the first day of the Masters, and you're still in decent shape going into your fourth to last hole, and then you leave that hole knowing that your entire weekend is now over, like officially over.
1: <laughs> I, I I didn't I didn't see it. So was this a, was this like a ten cup scenario where he hit the first one in the water, and he's like, well screw it, I'm going to prove I can do it now, and just didn't? Or did he have like a yips situation where a second baseman all of a sudden can't throw to first?
0: I I really think it was one of those situations where he was like, I'm going to hit this onto the green, so I'm going to keep trying. Because he hit the first one, and he, he hit it initially onto the green every single time, and there was a slope and he had such backspin on his shot every single time that it kept rolling all the way down back into the water. And he kept hitting it further and further away each time. And each time it rolled back even more. And listening to Scott Van Pelt be like, oh no, oh no, oh no, it's <laughs> happening again. Like it was just so demoralizing as a fan just watching it.
1: it it's, um, well, it, it, it's why sports are the last remaining bet, sure bet uh, in terms of live TV. Like you just, you, you can't, You you can't beat the you never know what's going to happen. And when you get to have somebody like Scott Van Pelt, who I who I really like, uh, involved in some of those moments, it's even better.
0: Yeah, I love SBP. Um, Let's talk about Nebraska. We're six practices into spring ball uh, and the excitement is picking up um, majorly with all the optimism that we keep hearing from coaches out of practice. Everyone's bigger. Everyone's stronger. Guys are looking good. Um, But that's basically the spring ball motto anywhere this time of the year. Um, It's going to be really hard for us to know who's where doing what at most positions, because the staff is just moving so many guys around. Um, But we do know a couple things. First, uh, the offensive line looks about how we thought it would look um, minus Decker and Conrad at center. You've got going left to right. You've got Hymas, Foster, uh, Hunter Miller is filling in at center, but then you've got Tanner Farmer and Matt Farniak. Miller is the surprise, uh, but we knew the other names would be there. And then, We know who the playmakers are for the most part. Um, We just don't really know who the quarterback is going to be at this point. So let's try to forecast a little. Um, We got a question in this week's mailbag asking about stats that will improve for Nebraska this year over last year that will result in an improved win-loss. Let's start with what you said on offense. You took explosive plays.
1: Yeah, I did. Um, I, I run the risk of this kind of becoming my my de facto answer. I've spent a lot of time in recent seasons looking at, at explosive plays. And, and obviously it's something people associated with with Frost's offense last year. Nebraska kind of fell off on, on that front. It, it just wasn't an offense that was designed to be to be that explosive. And you have to wonder if that's the, the best fit. If you're gonna run a pro style offense in in this current era, you you better be like UCA, USC level, talented. I think to to really maximize what you can do. So Nebraska straight up needs to score more points. They were they were below the national average the past two seasons. Um, that's not gonna cut it. I, I think everyone's optimistic about the Huskers' chances to get there under this offense, but when you when you look at really great offensive football what what UCF certainly was last year it's the combination of efficiency and explosiveness given what we don't know about quarterback given the newness of the system I think that efficiency hurdle is a little bit higher and maybe uh, a season or two down the road. But the explosive part of it, uh, I think Nebraska can get right away. And and those plays, you really have to view them as as points. I mean, I've got a, a bunch of you know, numbers I can throw out there about that. But when you see a play go for about 15-plus yards, just think, oh, that's as good as about two points on the board.
0: Hmm, interesting. Um, do you have in front of you, do you have numbers – because you listed out explosive play um percentages for central florida last year during their coming out party do you have numbers from 2016 that first year that the staff was there do you know what those I, numbers look like
1: i don't i don't have them in front of me at the moment um but, but I, I i did mean to go back and look at that because that's that that's going to be interesting to see how big of that jump came on um came in year two, my, my memory, and this could be totally wrong from, from having looked at this previously is that the, the efficiency jump. So I I think UCF ranked in the top five, certainly in success rate, which is just the measure of how often uh, a team is on schedule. Um, That was the, the bigger of the two, you know, they explosiveness, a good way to think of it is is as three pointers in, in basketball. You know, they can really change games Teams that are only explosive, you know, kind of run the risk of, well, if you hit a hit a cold shooting night or you have a a team who's really prepared to defend well, uh, you you might be out of answers. So that's why the combination of the two is is really where you want to be. But as a starting point, I think you'll see more of those big plays and more points because of it from Nebraska in 2018.
0: I think so, too. And I've and I've got I looked up the, the scoring offense and then the yards per play. Um, for the last three seasons for Central Florida and then last year for Nebraska. And the, the trend that I'm seeing really kind of goes in line with what you're, the, the efficiency versus explosiveness that you're talking about. Um, in 2015, Central Florida was at 13.9 points. Um, and then in 2016, it jumped all the way to 28.8. And then obviously last year it was at 48.2. Um, but the yards per play in 2015, they were 127th in the country, 4.1. In 2016, they were 123rd in the country, just 4.68. Um, and then last year, they jumped to second. So what that is telling me, at least, is that the explosive plays were there um, maybe in year one, and that was why you saw the points per game almost double or more than double, um, but the efficiency didn't come until they really got settled into the system, and, and Mackenzie Milton specifically got kind of comfortable doing what, frost wanted him to do and maybe that's the same kind of timeline we're looking at with nebraska
1: I, I I think it is. That's kind of what I come in ex- expecting, um, given the transition at quarterback, but also given the playmakers that they have. Like you know, obviously at wide receiver, there's two guys that everybody knows, and Stanley Morgan Jr. and, and J.D. Spielman, who are, who are legitimate all-conference players. Um, so so that helps. But I also think there's some guys in the backfield who maybe haven't shown it totally yet, but but have some of that big play potential. And, and a couple of them might be new guys. You know, Ryan Held has not been shy about saying like. That's what that's what I want back there. We're looking for home run hitters, guys who aren't going to get eight yards but 50. Um, it, it'll take some time to get there, but those are the goals. These are the things you constantly hear them talking about. So as a year one marker of is this offense doing or progressing towards what they want, I think uh, explosive plays and then that point total as a, a shorthand for it is a great way to look at it.
0: Definitely. Um, I think I, I took opportunity rate um, football outsiders' tracks. Um, when five yards are available how often does a running back get those five yards it's just basically a measurement of how good the offensive line is doing its job Um, Nebraska was really bad last year uh, but Central Florida was also really bad the year before this staff got there Uh, they were a little bit better in 2016 and then they were just really really good last year Um, that again speaks to the efficiency you talked about the playmakers who are some guys outside of like um, you know, you've got J.D. Spielman and Stanley Morgan and then somebody like Greg Bell is getting some some love right now. Who are some other names that that you kind of like what you're hearing out of spring ball so far?
1: Yeah, I think Mike Williams is is a big one. He's obviously on campus, but the the things that we've been hearing about him based on practice have been way beyond. I, he was a player that for whatever reason, I just kind of didn't think about. He wasn't a guy who, when I watched his film, any one thing jumped off, but he seems to be really well rounded. Um, you know, bit uh, th- this week and looked up, he averaged 20 yards of catch for for East Mississippi. And I think he has uh, a, a chance to do that because Morgan and Spielman are going to draw a ton of attention. Uh, if, if Williams can be that keep a defense honest guy, um, there's, there's a lot of yards, touches and points to be had for, for him. Um, you know, a couple guys who aren't here yet, uh, we continue to hear Miles Jones name come up as a, as a, as a guy who, I think the staff feels like they don't totally have one of on the, on the current roster. And then I think you can put LeGron and McGriff both in that category too. Those are, those are four, uh, new additions, I guess, that, that have the potential to, to put up some pretty good numbers.
0: I'm really excited about um, Tyjohn Lindsay in this offense. I think he's kind of a forgotten man at this point, which is a little odd to say, um, but I'm also curious what Maurice Washington's role is going to be I'm, because it, maybe he's going to get left behind a little bit since he's not already here. Do you get that sense?
1: I, I do a little bit. Um, he, he certainly runs that risk, you know, not his fault for for not getting campus in January. Everybody's got their own thing going on, but I, I see him as a guy who is is definitely going to play. Um, the excitement level around him is probably going to outdistance how ready he actually is. But they'll find ways to use him. I don't I don't see him as a redshirt guy. Um, it, you know it it's tough to put anybody in that category of oh yeah here's a guy who who, who needs a redshirt anytime you have a coaching change, but I think particularly with this one, you know, you saw with UCF, they kind of put this quote unquote in right away and, and they became a part of the offense and defense pretty quickly.
0: Let's switch gears a little bit. You talked about Ryan Held and kind of not being shy about saying what he wants in a running back. That's That's been something that we've seen from everybody on this staff. They're not shy about saying what needs to be said. They're not going to just give you standard coach speak for 15 minutes the entire time during an availability. They'll give you those little nuggets where they'll be aw- honest and they'll be open. Um, we saw it with <laughs> Eric Chenander when he walked up to the to the mic the other day and he's like, oh, am I not supposed to hold this? And then he kind of looked at the camera and smiled. Like he, he definitely knew what he was saying. Um, how? What are your thoughts on this staff's confidence level and just the way that they're going about talking about the team and the way that they're going about being... Um, very honest about what they want, what they're seeing, what they're not getting right now.
1: Yeah, their their uh, their confidence level is through the roof. And I, I got the chance to go down to Atlanta and cover the Peach Bowl, and I noticed it right away. Then, you know, they're loose. They have a very good feeling that they know what they do works. And uh, that allows them to really strip away a lot of the things that I think are kind of complications around a big time football program and and big time college football in general it's just kind of like hey let's let's not make too much of this let's let's do our work let's teach it the way we know how to teach it and then let's let's have some fun because we can show like it, as we get there as we start checking those boxes like things will work and and we'll make some improvement pretty quickly the <laughs> the lavalier microphone incident, as I as I have taken to to calling it, is is fascinating to me on a number of fronts, because that either means that somebody told Shenander about Bob Diaco's penchant for holding the tiny microphone that is designed to be clipped to your chest, or he watched some of those post-game clips at some point and picked up on it on his own, which I, I can't decide which one I like better, but uh, which one do you think? think it was Derek
0: you know thinking about it I kind of hope it's the the first one that he was he was told about it I I, I just don't I don't think I can bring myself to say that that this staff is watching clips of the old staff talking about the team. <laughs> that would feel very strange to me. I really hope someone kind of like showed it to him jokingly and, and he was like, oh, I'm going to have some fun with this. That's my hope. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I think that's the, the the more likely route too. Like, you know, it's not like Bob Diaco had a lot of memorable uh, post-game, post-game interviews in 2017, but nothing that would have been like, where Eric Shenander would have just caught it on ESPN uh, down in Orlando. So, so I think you're probably right. Somebody said, yeah, you know, this was the thing that happened. And, and Shenander, you know, who is from Iowa, who who played at Iowa, I think very much fills that role in the staff in terms of the the guy who likes to have a little fun and is pretty uh, pretty down home and just, uh, hey, let's not take things too seriously here.
0: Right, and the the thing that made it, like if he had just said that and kind of gone about his business and then started talking it wouldn't have been as great but the thing that made it was that he turned and stopped for like a half second and then smiled at the camera and that made that made it infinitely better it was so great.
1: No, it absolutely was. Not only did he uh not only did he have the joke, but he he had the timing right. Efficiency and explosiveness combined right there.
0: There you go. There you go. That's a good sign for for this season. I got a question for you. We have heard I think three of the six practices now we've heard uh, from one of the the coaches that has spoken, whether it be Troy Walters or Frost or Shenander, say that the energy wasn't what they wanted. Uh, they've talked about trying to get these guys to play um, like it's game day on you know April fifth. It's going to be hard, but at the same time, does that? worry you at all? I mean, the way that I look at it is everyone, all the players that we had heard from before spring ball started, all they talked about was excitement to be with this staff, excitement to have kind of a a fresh start, excitement to um, play in this system. And now three of the six days, we've heard that the energy hasn't been great. Is that just them getting used to the new standard of practice here? Maybe the, the coaches are expecting more so much more out of them than what the last staff did or is there a level of um, concern that you have there hearing you know that they're not bringing it as often as we've heard it
1: yeah I, I i'm not ringing any alarm bells yet i think that part of it is a really good indication of kind of where things were for nebraska previously and it, this is something i've thought a lot over the the last like four or five years so even going back before Mike Riley, as, as Nebraska, you know, put forth pretty, frankly, average results. You know, even when you're winning nine games, um, you, you go back and look at the point spreads and that sort of stuff, if anybody puts any stock in that. And that's, that's kind of where, where they start out each year, is you know, given Nebraska's resources and all of that, they probably should win nine games. Um, so because of all of that, because of things like you can open a season and expect to be at like eight and a half or whatever it ends up being. Um, plus, all of the amenities, all of the stuff that looks like one of the game's great programs, I think can actually start to work against you because everything around a, a young 18 or 19 year old player feels like, well, hey, this is like the pinnacle of college football. This is one of the places you come if you want to experience it at the highest level. But Nebraska wasn't producing those results. And I think what you're seeing when the coaches say, you know, the energy wasn't quite there is that for the first time in a while, they have people actually demanding it. Like they have people demanding the effort that it's going to take for Nebraska football to feel like everything that's around the players, which is a top 10 program uh, all time. So that's that's kind of how I look at that.
0: I think that's the right way to look at it. I don't know that red flags should be going up Yet, But that was just something that that I've kind of been thinking about. Let's switch gears um, away from football and let's talk about volleyball because Nebraska picked up um, a commitment at outside hitter in Lexi Sun um, or a transfer. Um, Just talk about kind of that process of her coming to Nebraska, committing to Nebraska and and kind of what she's going to bring to the team.
1: Yeah. So, uh, one of the top outside hitters in the country coming out of high school, uh, ended up at Texas, which everyone knows is you know, one of the, the powerhouse programs out there. You know, I, I spoke really briefly with coach cook the day that the transfer was announced and he told me he'd been recruiting her as hard as any player. He, he had in recent memory for, for a good stretch of a, a couple of weeks there. She obviously, um, you know, with, with her numbers and what she was able to do as a true freshman, had a lot of suitors and Coach Cook put in the work to, to get her to Nebraska. Uh, I think what's really interesting about her is as volleyball has moved to a sort of it's, it's become a different sport on the women's side. It's, it's not uncommon to see six, eight players and, you know, six, five outside hitters. Sun's not that. She's she's 6'2, um, which she's still plenty athletic. You you won't look at her and say she plays like she's 6'2. But Nebraska intends to put her in sort of that six rotation role, which is a little bit of uh of old school volleyball. Um so it's it's interesting, I think, that she found a fit here because it, as an outside observer, to me, it certainly seems uh seems like a, a good fit uh for, for a player of her caliber.
0: I've I've heard that uh scott frost played a, a role in recruiting her have you heard the same thing i mean do you have any insight on that
1: yeah so uh i don't know if they were were having dinner at uh coach cook's house a lot of times these these coaches kind of end up in the same neighborhoods um i i certainly know that was the case with with coach cook and some of the members of the previous staff um so if this was a dinner at Coach Cook's house, or if they were out somewhere in Lincoln, but Scott Frost and and, and Matt Davison did make an appearance at that uh, at, at that dinner, and of course, there Scott Frost is a rock star in Lincoln right now, so I, I think that was probably coordinated. The relationship between Coach Cook and Scott Frost is is a pretty interesting one. You know, uh, our colleague Jacob Padilla had a great write up when when Frost was hired about. Coach Cook driving and, and listening to the press conference and, and being moved to tears, um, it's it's pretty fun. And when I look at some of the things that Scott Frost has already implemented and uh, what Coach Cook does as a coach, there's a there's a lot of similarities there, which uh, I think is pretty encouraging if you're a Nebraska football fan, given volleyball's success.
0: Definitely, and, and Coach Cook was just over at practice on Thursday talking to the team. So the, the cross-sport support so far has been pretty exciting to see.
1: Absolutely, you know. And at one point, when we were, when we were, when I was working on the book with with Coach Cook, I asked him because, um, like, a lot of the new ideas that we outlay in that book, his ideas, of course, uh, and, and talk about, were totally new to me. And it wasn't long into it when I asked, I was like, "So, is, does anyone ever come over here and and ask like what you guys are doing? Why is this so successful?" And his answer was no, um, which didn't <laughs> make a ton of sense to me, but I think. Given the relationship that Frost and Cook have coming in, uh, have the chance to to help each other out a little bit.
0: That's wild that no one came. Like when you have a pro- when you have a, a program that's that successful, how do you not try to to take advantage of the resources that you have, like down the street from you? That's crazy to me to think about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally down the street. And and what's interesting about it is like when you know Nebraska volleyball kind of rose to power under under Coach Pettit and the. In the 80s and 90s, they were taking parts of what Tom Osborne was doing uh, in terms of how they structured their practices. And, you know, now you see uh, now you see Coach Frost continually mention those things about taking some ideas from from Coach Osborne. So it's almost as if the Nebraska's advantage on a coaching side kind of left from football, went over to volleyball for a good stretch. And now it might be back with football and volleyball. Um, so, so maybe someday in the near future we can uh, we can replicate 1995 when when both teams won the national title.
0: 1995 was a really good year. It was the year I was born.
1: There we go. So yep, it was. Uh, it, it's it's hard to believe the like the, the level that Nebraska had reached there. And now that I know that we have we added you to the world on that in that year. Um, well, it's, it's the best year that we can possibly have. It's going to be tough to top.
0: I think that's a good, good spot to end the podcast for the week. Enjoyed it, Brandon. Thanks for coming
1: on. Yeah. Thanks a lot.
0: Yeah. We'll be back next week. Talking more Husker football. we got some baseball going on this weekend. Spring games coming up soon. Uh, things are picking up guys. So just keep it with Hill varsity.